You're listening to episode 39 of the Curiosity Club podcast. Welcome to the Curiosity Club podcast, a safe place to get your weekly dose of life lessons, helping you let go of fear, overwhelm and insecurities. I'm your host, Katri Barrett, and with each episode, I share my insights and practical skills for you to unlock your full potential. Live and work confidently. Be courageous. Be curious. Because life's too short to keep holding yourself back. Hello, Curiosity Clubbers. How are you all doing? This is your host, Katri Barrett. I'm a transformational life coach and speaker, and I'm very excited to be bringing you an amazing guest today. I sat down to talk to the wonderful Alice May Perkis. Alice is a writer and self-described marketing nerd based in London. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015 when she was just 26, and after dealing with mental health difficulties for most of her adult years... Hearing the words, you have cancer, changed her life immeasurably, but not necessarily for the worst. Her brilliant first book, Life, Lemons and Melons, was released earlier this year and explores the relationship between cancer and mental health and how at times it can be funnier than it sounds. Alice is also a campaigner and a trustee for the brilliant breast cancer charity Copperfield and tells us about an upcoming trip of a lifetime that they are going on together in just a few days time. We get into what it's like to experience both the diagnosis of depression and cancer in your 20s and how survivor's guilt and comparison can be such an added burden that so many people experience. Alice shares her best insights of how she's navigated some extremely challenging times, both physically and mentally, and what she does to look after herself. We also dive into all the unexpected lemonade that she has experienced from the lemons she was handed, the good things that come from the not so good and how we can all find them better. I'm just going to put it out there that I think this is my favourite conversation that I've had on the podcast yet and I know that it is going to lift up so many people. If you aren't subscribed to the Curiosity Club, then hit that button now and share this episode with a friend who could also do with a little pick-me-up from listening to it. There is also some really important fundraising that Alice is doing for breast cancer charity and Copperfield. I'll let her tell you all about it, but I would love for the Curiosity Club community to support and contribute to that as much as possible. Cancer is unfortunately something we have all been affected by in some way, whether it's someone we love receiving a diagnosis, if not ourselves. So let's share this episode and Alice's story as much as we can. You're going to find the links to donate in the show notes and to everything that Alice is talking about. But without further ado, enjoy this episode. So welcome to the Curiosity Couch, Alice. How are you doing today? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. You're very nice to have you. We're enjoying the sunshine. Yeah, well, it's so nice. Oh, after all the rain that we've had, we talked about that. We There seems to be a lot of noise going on outside today. We've just been laughing and waiting to hit record because it seems to be all of the building work going on. So I'll do a little uh, 
housekeeping and say if you hear a lot of stuff banging it's uh, not us it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's things outside so start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your story and your incredible work as a writer storyteller and campaigner um so yeah i i am a writer um i do a, a multiplicity of things though it's becoming increasingly more difficult to kind of define what I do in in one sentence and whenever people ask me what I do I'm always a bit like uh 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 and it sounds like I'm lying uh, <laughs> but I yeah I'm a, a writer social media manager marketer um and my writing takes quite a lot of various forms you know I um do boring copywriting for companies but I also do um like bits of journalism and storytelling as well um yeah, and I guess the thing I always forget, but should talk about more, is the fact that I have written a book. <laughs> it's the one thing I often forget to mention. Um, but yeah, that's kind of me in a fairly broad nutshell, I guess. Yes, and I have your book. We've got it here. I have read it and thoroughly enjoyed it. Yay. And that, my first question, is going to be around the book. So having read it, and it's, it's called Life, Lemons and Melons, which is a title I have so much love for because I think it, it perfectly depicts how you bring a sense of humour and lightness to often avoided and slightly darker, heavier subject matters of mental health and what it's like to experience a cancer diagnosis firsthand. And you yourself describe the book as uh, being about figuring out life when it hands you a whole leap of lemons, whole heap of lemons, not leap, heap of lemons, and you don't have the energy to make lemonade. A funny story about things that aren't funny. Now, I laughed reading the book. I have cried when I've re read it <laughs> as well. I resonated with so much of your experience with, with depression. Um, and especially the way you articulate it in a way that I think I myself could have never been able to even to myself as, mm. as thought so I think I found it really powerful and insightful um, reading so much of it can you tell us a little bit more about your intention behind writing it and what what it was like to write yeah so I have lived with um, depression and anxiety for most of my adult life um, possibly some of my teenage years as well I just thought I was an emo then so <laughs> lots of dark music and ang dark eyeliner and angry music um but yeah I kind of I've lived with um depression and mental health problems for most of my adult life and then um when I was 26 I um was diagnosed with breast cancer which obviously was an unexpected curveball that life threw me um and I wanted to talk about the two kind of separately and how how you go through an experience of one and how it might differ to your experience of the other but I also wanted to talk about them together because you often hear the stories of people who have um, had a cancer diagnosis and then struggle with their mental health afterwards but you don't necessarily hear the stories about the people who've struggled with their mental health and then got a cancer diagnosis and what that means for them afterwards and I'm not saying this is something I say a lot. I'm not saying it's better or worse if you had mental health problems before. I'm just saying it's different. And that's something that I really wanted to explore. So I wrote this book, Life, Lemons and Melons, um, about kind of my experience of cancer and mental health. Um, but I also wanted to bring in other people's opinions too. So there are kind of um, thoughts and feelings from other people who have experienced cancer, um, 
and mental health because like mental health problems because you know every story is different and every story is valid and you know just because I'm one person telling a story I just want to make sure that like as many people's voices are heard as possible I guess so that's kind of why I set out to write the book but also I wanted it to be you know realistic and I think there's I didn't set out to write a funny book um, I do kind of disguise um, how I feel with humour a lot but actually there are a lot of parts of both cancer and mental health that are funny when you look at them with kind of an open mind um, so even though it's you know a book about things that you wouldn't expect to be funny um, it is funny and I wanted to show the lighter side of, of both of those kind of common issues that lots of people are facing. Definitely, I think with certainly, and we sort of were talking about it a little bit before we started recording. There is always light in the dark. Totally. And when you're in the dark, it's hard to find the light. And I think that it, it, shining that torch for using I've been using a lot of analogies. <laughs> <laughs> the torch of people sometimes intentionally like, okay well where is the lightness in this really mm. hard challenging it, like experience that I'm going through whether that's you know mental health or in your case as, as you talk about in the book your experience with cancer diagnosis mm. and going through through treatment I think intentionally looking for that sometimes because sometimes you do have to seek it out you know mm. it's not handed to you on a plate when you're in chemotherapy and you feel like a shadow of a person you were before or if you are having kind of suicidal ideation like obviously you're not going to find the humor in those moments immediately but you know there there are bits of lightness that you can find around those things and that's not making light of either of those situations because they are both you know serious that's not kind of dismissing any negative feelings around them but yeah I think there is always nearly always humor to be found you've just got to look for it quite hard sometimes I think um there's a quote from some of a big Harry Potter fan um, there's, uh, <laughs> there's a quote that Albus Dumbledore says that happiness can be found in even the darkest times if you only remember to turn on the light. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this book is about kind of finding ways to turn on that light, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And that good old Albus Dumbledore, so wise. Oh, so, <laughs> so wise. <laughs> Was there anything, how during those times, and you're talking about the, the challenging mm. times, what were the ways that you, you were able to kind of find, find the light? So for me, it was a lot about my loved ones and the people who were surrounding me and also just, like, the absurdity of the situation. Like, I remember when I was in chemo, um, I had an infection, and if you have an infection when you're on chemo, it's really, really dangerous because you can very easily slip into sepsis because your white... Basically, your white blood cells um, are obliterated by the chemo, so any kind of infection can make you really, really poorly. And I remember I um, had an infection and I was going to the hospital and I was in a lift and I'd been fine, in fine, in inverted commas, um, quote-unquote fine, <laughs> um, in the taxi. And then we got to the hospital because I needed to go in to get antibiotics, get my bloods checked and blah, 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 blah. And um, I just remember my husband looking at me when I was stood in the lift and I'd suddenly, like, changed colour and I'd gone, like, puce. 
and he, we were going up to floor four and somebody got out of floor two and apparently he thought to himself, if somebody gets out of floor three, Alice is going to be sick on them. <laughs> and um, we got to floor four and I darted out and I threw up in like the world's tiniest bin <laughs> and then I was sick as well in a um, recycling bin and at the hospital that I was at, they have signs up that say... Um, if you put anything in the recycling bin that isn't one of these things, the hospital will be fined. And I remember looking at Chris and saying, I can't throw up in a recycling bin because they'll be fined. And then I was just like, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that is, that is one of the kind of more traumatic experiences of my cancer treatment. But it is funny, you know, like, honestly, the bin, I wish it was maybe like, what would you say that is like? Less than thirty centimeters. Significantly yeah. less, than less than thirty than centimeters, <laughs> and it was like a semicircle bin as well. So it's like the world's oh, no. smallest <laughs> bin. Um, and you know, like you just uh, at the time. Actually, no, I was going to say at the time it wasn't funny, but at the time it was funny. And I guess it's just being open to whatever, being open to whatever experiences come your way and just accepting them for what they are rather than thinking, oh, I can't laugh about the fact that I've just thrown up in a recycling bin because I feel horrendous. Like, mm. I did. I felt like I was at death's door. I felt so poorly. But we were still laughing. And I think there's there's moments like that everywhere you look. Mm. you just got to look for them. You've got to look, exactly. I'm such a big believer in that. And, mm. and I think, and as you were saying, you are sort of describing there about the acceptance of... of the things that are, are going on and I, I think as, as with lots of things in life if when you resist whatever it is that comes up throwing up in the bin you can't you can't <laughs> hold that back when you hold or if you try to it's going to end up a lot worse because it will end up you know, everywhere lift or everywhere on yeah. you, and then you've got to go and continue you know have that appointment yeah. in the hospital um how, what would be your experience of, of you know having your, your yeah your journey for one of a better word of, of, of acceptance and and not resisting the, when you had the diagnosis of mental, of mm -hmm. your depression and, and the cancer? So I think it's really interesting actually for me to look at my mental health through the lens of before cancer and mm -hmm. after cancer. And again, I'm not saying that either was better or worse, just very, very different. And when I was, um, when I first went to get help about my depression, I, um, I had... CBT. I had six sessions of CBT. Maybe it was eight. Anyway, I had some CBT. And I'd started putting the learnings from that into practice. And then it was literally three days before my last CBT session that I found out that I'd got cancer. So kind of all of the learnings that I had went out the window and I went into survival mode and I went into kind of batten down the hatches, let's deal with this cancer. And I didn't pay enough attention to my mental health when I was in treatment because I was so concentrating on surviving. Um, and then coming out the other side, I, I've had a lot of kind of therapy. I've had more CBT. I've done mindfulness CBT as well. And a big part of that has been acceptance and accepting that you know, there are bad days and there are bad things that happen. And, you know, sometimes you can't do anything about them. Sometimes you can reframe them so that the things that happen feel more positive or feel better. But also I think there's something for it just, you know, saying, actually, 
that was a really shit thing that happened and just acknowledging that rather than trying to put a positive spin on it and saying that was a shit thing that happened but it's given me this 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 and this and it has you know cancer's given me so many things and my talking about mental health has given me so many things but you know sometimes you just have to accept that it's crap you know mm. I don't know if that makes sense oh yeah it really doesn't I think that I think almost that's the, the issue is that I suppose um, and you talk about it in the book, the, the danger of, of feeling like you have to be positive all the time oh, yeah. or or uh, unintentionally often making people feel like they should be mm-hmm. during a, a time that is really shit yeah. and, and, and isn't positive. Can you yeah, talk a little bit more? Because I know you talk about it in the book. Um, yeah, so there's definitely this kind of uh, feeling around having cancer or being a cancer patient or surviving cancer that you have to be positive all the time and you know there's definitely a place for a positive mental attitude totally get that but also I think you have to be realistic and it's not realistic to be positive all the time in life um and I think you know there's such a pressure on cancer patients and people who've been through a cancer experience to have that positivity and oh how are you so positive all the time oh my god you're so positive you're such an inspiration blah 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 blah. you know we forget I think that anyone who is going through something is still just a human doing the best they can and that pressure for positivity and it's definitely something I felt while I was in treatment and I wasn't so good at kind of saying oh no I'm not very positive today actually I, I cried in the shower for an hour and I was 90% snot this morning while I was like eating my breakfast because I was crying so much um but yeah I guess we kind of elevate people who've been through any kind of trauma into this kind of saint-like or hero-like position and actually we're just humans you know and I think we all forget that everyone on this planet is just a human trying to do the very best they can do and sometimes it's messy sometimes it's unpleasant and sometimes it is positive and sometimes it is gorgeous but you know it's about balance you know everything is about balance and I think Mm. that kind of um conversation is needs to focus more on both sides Mm-hmm. of the situation rather than just being oh my god you're so positive all the time wow, you must be positive to survive cancer mm, yeah absolutely and I think and something you talked about we, um, yesterday on your mm. Instagram stories I saw you was that that comparison and you spoke can you tell us a little bit about that because I think it's really powerful what you were what you were talking about yeah so um, I am in an incredibly lucky position um, where my health is such that I am able to do some pretty exciting things and I have offered, been offered a lot of opportunities as well since having cancer and since talking about my mental health. Um, and the kind of current one for me is, what, on Friday, <laughs> I just did a little little like nervous noise there, um, but on Friday um, I'm going to India to trek the Himalayas for the Breast Cancer Awareness Charity Copperfield. And I also, a couple of weeks ago, I did a half marathon. I won't say I ran a half marathon. I travelled a half marathon. <laughs> because Were you travelled and what was on your back? Oh, I had a massive boob on my back. <laughs> yeah. not, you didn't travel alone, which yeah. makes it even more impressive. <laughs> that's and that's, I saw that on 
um, your Instagram. And yeah. How, that is, it was a massive, massive boo. Boo. The whole yeah. size of your back. So that in itself, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've had these amazing opportunities and I'm doing these amazing things. And, you know, somebody said to me, somebody I really, really care about and whose opinion I really value, they said to me, like, oh, you know, seeing things like that, sometimes it makes me feel a bit shit. And I was like, Totally. I completely get that. I have been in your position. I have felt a bit shit because I, I mean, I do, like, I'm going to India on Friday and I still feel like I'm not enough and I'm not doing enough and I'm not being enough and I'm not the best survivor, inverted commas, I could be. Um, but he, he, he said that to me and I wanted to kind of address it. So I kind of took to Instagram stories and said, you know, like, we live in this world where the media and social media perpetuates this kind of stereotype of what it is to be the best cancer survivor. And um, I just think there's not a lot of shades within that, you know? And um, I wanted to talk about, on on my stories yesterday, I basically wanted to say, like, if anybody... um, if anybody felt in kind of... felt sort of negatively or it was making them feel bad all of these things that I was doing I wanted to say you know I've been where you are I will probably be there again like just because I'm in a position where I can put myself through these things it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong if you're not doing those things and you know there's I always say there's no right or wrong way to do cancer there's no right or wrong way to do cancer treatment and there is no right or wrong way to do life with or beyond cancer and it's the same with mental health as well you know like I talk about my mental health that's not for everyone um there's no right or wrong way to do life you just have to do the best you can do um and (laughs) my dad would laugh so much if he knew I'd done this I haven't spoken to him about it but when I was learning to drive one of the things my dad said to me was it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing but you have to drive your own drive you have to make sure that you're driving safely, blah, blah, blah. You have to make sure that you're doing everything you should. Um, and that that kind of drive your own drive thing has really stuck with me. Um, and I think that's a message for people. We just, we're all doing the best we can. We just have to drive our own drives. Oh, that is, that, your dad. So that, wise. What a wise man. What a wise man. <laughs> He's essentially out of the Yeah, exactly. Same person. You'll have to tell him that. But it's true. I, I suppose like all we can do in life is stay in our own lane yeah. and, and and drive our own drive. And if if we you know strive to do that, then that would help so much with with comparison. And it sounds yeah. like you that even with something like experiencing cancer and cancer treatment, nothing is is free from that sense of I'm yeah. not enough or nobody is is free. Which you'd think of all the. The things that that you're going through that would wouldn't 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 still be there, and I think it shows how important it is to talk about these things. Yeah, and, totally. And, and actually, I think in a lot of cases, for for people who have lived through a cancer experience, that feeling is almost exacerbated because you sort of think, "Oh God, I didn't die. I'm really lucky." Like, and survivor's guilt is very very real. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with and we maybe don't talk about as much as we should that there is that pressure to be a certain sort of person because you didn't cark it you know like and that's kind of a bizarre thing like how has that happened that just because you didn't die you suddenly have to be like super hashtag grateful all the time obviously I'm grateful but also 
I got cancer at 26 and I had my breast cut off and I had 10 surgeries in three years. I lost my hair, blah, 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 blah. So again, it's that idea of balance and there, there's always two sides to things and I think it's just about kind of, yeah, just recognising that nothing, nothing is ever simple and nothing is ever black and white, I guess. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's within those grey areas, I think, that we need to yeah. allow ourselves more. With with that, so you talked about the, the survivor's guilt. You mm. Having, you know, it sounded like you kind of did experience that a little bit uh, Every day, every day. Every, and still, still, yeah, now. totally. Is there, you know, would there be anything or is there anything that you do that kind of helps you get back on track or back into your, your, your lane or your... I think, you know, again, it's that idea of accepting that you know, you are going to have survivor's guilt. So there's an incredible writer who died just this week, Deborah Orr. Um, and when I read her story, I was like, you know, why did she get secondary breast cancer? Why didn't I get secondary breast cancer? Like, what is it? And the, actually, one of the biggest kind of um, experiences of survivor's guilt that I had, um, there was a broadcaster called Rachel Bland who died in September last year and she was diagnosed about the same time as I was and she was diagnosed with the same type of breast cancer as I was so um, I won't go into it too much because it's quite a lot of kind of scientific stuff but I had triple negative breast cancer which is supposed to be the most aggressive one the most there's many different types of breast cancer who knew I didn't know that before I had cancer um but yeah Rachel um was diagnosed not long after I was she was a little bit older um and she sadly died in September last year her breast cancer came back she'd had the same treatment as me so she'd had um surgery she'd had chemo she'd had radio she had carried on with her life after cancer for a while and then she got diagnosed with secondaries and she had a little boy, so she, I think he was about three when she died. And when she died, I just remember thinking to myself, she's got a kid, why has she died and I haven't? Like, I don't have that. It's unfair that that boy has been left without a mother. And, um, you know, I don't have any children. I don't have any dependents. And that was a really big kind of moment of survivor's guilt for me. And it does, it happens all the time. Um, when you hear stories about people who, you know, whose treatment hasn't been as successful as mine appears to have been. Um, and I think, you know, it's okay to feel angry and sad on behalf of that person because that's what it is. That's what survivor's guilt in, is in a, in a lot of ways. It is frustration at the cards that life has dealt other people, or it is for me, definitely. Um... And I think, again, it goes back to, it just keeps, I feel like I just keep saying the same thing, but it goes back to just accepting it and, you know, sitting with that and then going, okay, so that's, you know, that's horrible that it's happened to that person and it didn't happen to me. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I think that's another thing with survivor's guilt. You know, there really is no rhyme or reason with cancer to why one person survives and one person doesn't. It's it's kind of down to genetics and science and all sorts of things that I don't understand. Um, so yeah, in terms of kind of managing the survivor's guilt, I guess it's just about recognising that it's okay and not getting swallowed up by it and doing the best you can to just kind of keep trucking, basically. And yeah, 
I guess that's it, really. Mm. Just keep trucking. Yeah, just keep trucking. A lot of road uh, references. Oh my gosh, so many <laughs> road references. <laughs> really doing that. Um, yeah, because so, it sounds like that it, it has the potential to be such a heavy burden oh on my God, top it's so of. Oh my yeah. so heavy. And, and it, you know, like I said, there is no rhyme or reason to it. I know so many people who are living with secondary breast cancer. And they told me, when I was diagnosed, they were like, your cancer is the one that's most likely to come back. And it's most likely to come back in the first five years. That kind of triple negative breast cancer. And I'm nearly five years since diagnosis. Five years next year. And I'm kind of fine, as far as I know. Um... And it's just like, you know, it doesn't make any sense and it is a heavy burden to carry, but I guess sharing the load is kind of... That's another kind of road reference, isn't it? Um, I guess kind of sharing the load, um, talking about it, being open about it, being honest about it. And, you know, it's interesting, when I was talking about kind of survivor's guilt yesterday on Instagram, so many people came into my stories, uh, into my Instagram replies, and they're like, oh, my God, I have really bad survivor's guilt. Um, and you know I also conversely I worry that I'm not doing enough and you know like how can we find a place to sit in the middle of that I guess it's tricky it's not easy yeah and I I, I think you're so right that it's so important to have these these discussions as you said with people coming in How, how have you found platforms like having Instagram and opening up these discussions was that have you always done that throughout pre-diagnosis diagnosis or yeah so I think the kind of social media community particularly the Instagram community around cancer and also kind of mental health as well is really opening up conversations one of my concerns is that it's opening up conversations in an echo chamber and I don't know how 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 much further those conversations are going but I feel like it's definitely a starting point and I know that a lot of people find Instagram um, particularly a really, really good tool um, for support when you're going through cancer treatment or when you're going through um, difficulties with your mental health. Um, for me, because it's it's four years since I was diagnosed, actually Instagram wasn't... People were using Instagram, but they weren't using it as much as they are now when I was diagnosed. So I kind of talked about my treatment, but not in the, not to the extent that some people are able to do it now. Um, I did blog my way through my entire treatment. So um, I blogged about everything from losing my hair to my fertility um, and the IVF that I had to have to preserve my fertility. Um, talked about all of that because I wanted to kind of create a safe place for people who were going through what I was going through, who maybe felt alone, because a lot of the narrative around cancer, particularly breast cancer, tends to be targeted at much older women. Um, And so I wanted to kind of start opening up the conversation um, around that kind of thing for younger women. And then it was really interesting, actually, because I'd never really talked about my mental health at all um, to anyone other than my husband, really. And I reached a point not long after I'd been not long after I'd finished treatment, and it was kind of around the time I had the idea for the book. Actually, I suddenly thought to myself, "Do you know what? Like you've talked so openly about your cancer treatment, why are you so ashamed and afraid to talk about your mental health?" And I was like, "You talked about your fanny 
on your blog that your granddad read. Why won't you talk about your mental health? And I just thought that was a really interesting kind of juxtaposition of, of my feelings. And so I made the decision to talk about my mental health as well. And that was a really big deal for me. Like that was a massive deal coming out and saying, because it is like kind of a coming, a coming out in some way. Because everyone's always said to me, oh, you're the most positive person I know. Oh my God, you're so happy all the time. And I was like, literally when that door closes, you have no idea. Um, and so that was a big, that was a big deal for me. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, no, I, I think so. And I'm, I'm, whilst you're talking, I have many more questions popping into my, <laughs> into my head. But I think, I think it's really interesting what you say, the difference that we all culturally have that we put on but our mental and physical health. Yeah. And, and in the book, you, um, you, have a, you list all the things that people kind of tend to say about depression when, or when you're, you've got the blues, you describe it. Yeah. Um, and on the opposite page, you list the same things, but in reference to cancer and how no one would ever, <laughs> ever say them. So things like, like, oh, yoga, you should try yoga. That will yeah. help, help with depression. Or, but with cancer, no one would ever say yeah. yoga's going to cure cancer so what was your experience between how um how 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 what was your experience of the way people treated mental um and your diagnosis of mental ill health and, and physical health and how do you think that this could be improved i think people definitely deal with them very very differently and i think you know people were amazing when i was diagnosed with cancer they were incredible. I got flowers, I got gifts, I got hampers, I got loads of stuff. And when I, so not long before I was diagnosed actually, I took two weeks off work because my mental health was in the toilet. Like, it was really, really bad. And I didn't tell anyone. I told my manager and that was it. And I didn't get any of those things. And I'm not saying that I wanted them, but I just think that difference is, is really interesting and kind of recognizing that difference and it's almost like when you have issues with your mental health you're kind of held at arm's length in a way whereas and I, th I think it's a thing like people don't know what to do and they don't know what to say and people don't know what to do or what to say with when you're diagnosed with cancer at 26 but they're more willing to kind of try and get it wrong um and I think you know I some people say that um um, having problems with your mental health is the same as breaking your leg and I, I don't think that's true at all I think it should be treated similarly but I think having problems with your mental health is much more it's a, it's a much bigger deal than a broken leg obviously a broken leg's not great um, but yeah I think we just need to keep having these conversations and I read a really interesting post from Bryony Gordon yesterday on social media and she was saying that when she um did she did the marathon a couple of years ago with um Harry Prince Harry Prince William and Kate Middleton and she was saying that she felt like we were at a real kind of point there where we were starting to break through the kind of stigma around mental health and the, the things that set it apart from physical health issues. And then she said that she feels like it's changed over the last couple of years and maybe we've taken a few steps back since then. And I think she's absolutely right, you know. Um, there are people like Matt Haig who are talking about mental health problems and the amount of vitriol he gets on Twitter for being open about his mental health issues is just horrendous. And, you know... I think kindness is key 
that's kind of my motto for life and I think we just need to all concentrate on being kinder to each other and to ourselves and that's the best way to kind of combat the, the differences between mental and physical health and the way that they're treated. We just need to be kinder to other people and not be afraid when they say, actually, do you know what? My brain's giving me a really hard time at the moment. Mm, absolutely. And I think you mentioned there about people approaching differently and almost mm. being being afraid and, and that comparison, which I've heard as well, of it to a, a broken leg and whilst it needs to be treated mm. the same as in the way people approach, mm -hmm. mental health isn't a linear no. linear thing like, like no. healing a bone. And, and actually, I heard something really interesting in... I can't remember where I read it, somewhere recently, and talking about how a few years ago we had made huge progress with mm. talking about mental health, and that actually it's almost as if, and this is sort of similar to what you mentioned, that there's a bit of that compassion fatigue, yeah, especially in the media, and that people, totally. and yeah, what what do you think are ways as as individuals, and obviously that feeds into the the collective that we can we can do to kind of ensure that we don't kind of see this as something trivial or roll, you know, mm. avoid that rolling eyes or people on Twitter backlashing on things, something that's so important and yeah. so everyday to everyone. I think taking the what the, the media says with a pinch of salt is one of the best ways to um, avoid that kind of idea of compassion fatigue. And I think that's a, that's a really good way to put it. But... Again, it just comes back to us all being humans, all trying to do the best we can do at any point with, within any given circumstances. And I think, yeah, taking what the media says with a pinch of salt is a really great way to... Because, you know, especially, like, some of the tabloids are so negative about mental health. And you, there was that thing, um, conversation doing the rounds a couple of weeks ago about sad fishing did you see that mm. so basically they were saying that lots of young people are sad fishing now which means that they're saying that they're sad on social media for engagement purposes um and I was like how do you know that they're saying it for engagement purposes how do you know that they're not just really sad and they're looking for a way to reach out and somebody to talk to um so yeah I think how to avoid compassion fatigue is such a big question mm. and I guess I don't really have the answers but I think just remember everyone's doing the best they can do and do your best to support them in that or seek support for that if you need it does mm. that make sense? yeah absolutely I think it's coming back to again being you know, it's, your, your, it's your drive it's your journey <laughs> and coming back it's a good one I think life your dad came out with a good life motto there yeah with that and, and yeah not taking everything we read everything we consume whether I always say you know social media and the media is all being con consuming it consciously and being aware that mm -hmm. everything we read isn't the whole picture yeah and it isn't necessarily factual in trying to just focus on you and your immediate kind of network for and it's looking at things with a critical eye as well yeah. you know like rather than just taking everything as gospel um and recognising, you know, social media is not real life um, and it's like a fraction of what we see. And that goes back to what I was saying about the comparison thing. Um, you know, I, I said to the friend who I was talking to on at the weekend, um, yeah, you see me talking about going to India, but you don't see the fact that for the last week I've been kind of 
staving off panic attacks and that being having to really really concentrate on my breathing and being like staying in bed until 10 o'clock in the morning because that's my safe place and I needed to do that and you know I just I just think the world would be a much better place if everyone was just a bit nicer to each other <laughs> absolutely put it very well I think it certainly it certainly would is there four, four times now when you kind of um perhaps are aware that your mental health is is um kind of needing a little bit of support and mm. a little bit of extra um help then you sort of heading you in your book you describe it as sort of going towards a, a darker place mentally mm. what do you do now to support that and what what tips would you give for other people who are feeling similar so I think for me it's a lot about getting into good habits when I'm feeling well so making sure that I'm doing yoga regularly um I don't meditate as often as I perhaps should but I try really hard to be mindful so um you know if I'm out walking whatever I try not to like look at my phone or get caught up with my thoughts um I have a few things that I do really regularly um like I swim a lot we were talking about swimming before um I swim in cold water I don't think that that's necessarily a cure for mental health but I think it's one of the tools that you can have in your arsenal and you know I think it's about establishing those patterns so that when you are feeling like when I'm heading towards the dark place I don't have to try anything new to get myself away from it I just have to keep doing what I always do going to yoga going for a swim breathing through my nose like all of those kind of things so I think yeah it's about setting up figuring out what tools um you have in your arsenal and what tools make you feel good maybe it's curling up with a book maybe it's sitting and listening to your favorite vinyl um sounds really wanky but there's something different about listening to vinyls I think um yeah it's about figuring out what your tools are and making them part of your routine so that when you are getting to that dark place you've kind of built up a little bit of resilience I guess by doing those things um that's what I find works for me anyway mm. and I suppose it's about it, it's so much easier when you're in a good place and you are feeling good to do oh those my god things, yes yeah and try them and, and whereas when you're not feeling quite so good whether that's you know if you're feeling physically ill or mentally a little bit unwell yeah or not feeling quite so good then it's so much harder to kind of have that perspective there's nothing more frustrating I think than when you um are feeling unwell mentally and somebody's saying have you tried going for a walk if like I can't even get out of bed like how am I going to go for a walk I can't even brush my teeth like I, I can't go to an exercise class because I can't leave the house you know so I think it's about doing those things when you feel good it's almost like you're building up your your bank of good stuff for when you really need to take the payment out Mm -hmm. um if that makes sense yeah absolutely I think that's a really good way of of putting it in what is it about the you talked about cold water swimming and and this is something that we are going to put I said I really wanted to do I wanted to do it last winter at Brockwell Lido and we I'm going to buy myself a swimsuit and I really want to do it (laughs) I've been having cold showers but it's not the same what is it it's it's quite what about that what do you think is the benefit I think one of the most amazing things about cold water swimming is um, for me having had so many experiences where my body has been put through trauma because 
like cancer is basically going through a cancer experience is basically going through a number of traumas like that sounds dramatic but it's really not like there are so many points in the last four years where I have experienced trauma as a result of my cancer experience so especially the trauma relating to my body um, I was really disconnected from my body when I finished cancer treatment. And I would say, that, you know, it's a work in progress. I still feel quite disconnected from it in a lot of ways. But cold water swimming has been an incredible way to bring me back to my body and also get me out of my head. Um, you know, it's incredibly hard to process what's going on in your brain when your breath is laboured because it's so cold and we were talking about this before there's an incredible moment when you are cold water swimming so you get in the water and you your body almost goes into shock in some cases it does go into shock which is bad um, but your breathing becomes really short and laboured and difficult and the more you kind of ease into the swimming and ease into the movement there's a moment where your breath suddenly steadies and suddenly becomes natural and comfortable. And there's a lot to be said, I think, for that as a metaphor for life. And also for me as well, when I'm swimming, because I will swim length after length after length, I'm concentrating on how many lengths I've done and how many strokes I've done especially if I'm trying to do front crawl, which I'm not very good at these days because of all the surgeries I've had on my chest. But when you do front crawl, um, a, a commonly used technique is bilateral breathing. So you breathe on the opposite side every three strokes. So you do one, two, three, breathe on your left. One, two, three, breathe on your right. So you have to be counting. And same with your lengths, you've got to count how many lengths. And I'm really bad as well. I get really, like, if I stop thinking about what length I'm on, I forget. So I'm constantly thinking about the numbers and it just takes you out of your head, you know, and puts you back into your body and thinking about how you're moving your body through the water and um, what your stroke is doing to make your body work more efficiently. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of conversation about whether cold water swimming is a cure for depression and I, I absolutely don't think it is a cure but I think it's again one of those tools for your arsenal that can be helpful. I don't think it's a be all and end all um, but I think for me it has been an absolute gift and swimming through the winter last year for the first first time was just ace. I loved it. I know, I, I, I'm excited and we're going to watch this space, people. Yeah. I'm going to go with Alice and go <laughs> cold water swimming. Yeah. Uh, as you were speaking then, I sort of realised that as you were describing um, that moment when you said your breath softens, that's almost like it's the physical representation of acceptance. Yeah. Accepting the cold. Yeah. And how liberating oh yeah absolutely absolutely and it is liberating and it is powerful and if you can take that feeling with you it's like when you're when you're in yoga you know you do yoga and you might have a um kind of um a mantra or whatever that you have on the mat it's about taking that off the mat and in a lot of cases and putting it into your everyday life and for me swimming is that as well it's about taking that feeling that I have from the pool and kind of letting it ripple out into other parts of my life and that moment of calm when your breath changes it's really it's a really powerful moment I mm. think 
God, I sound so wanky, don't oh, I? No, I, I love it. I'm ex- it's making me excited. I can't wait to ex- come go swimming now. I'm, I'm very excited about it. I'm, I, uh, I'm going to go when, when I leave here. And I've been swimming um, at Beckenham Place Park, which has a lake that's just opened. But they have um, a wetsuit policy. So if it's below 16 degrees, you have to swim in a wetsuit. Um, and I don't have like a full wetsuit, but I have a long sleeve swimming costume that I wear in Brockwell when it drops below 10 degrees. But it's 13 degrees at Brockwell, so I'm just going in my swimming costume today. And I'm excited luxurious. about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> luxurious 13 degrees. I can't I really, I don't, I have no concept of what that is, but I, I'm going to experience it. We're going to you go are. to Brockwell when, when you're back from... You will. Yeah, you're, I will remember it. I can't, I can't wait. Um, so with, obviously, the title of your book and your, your description of, of that sometimes when you're handed lemons in life... You can't always make lemonade, but I'm wondering whether, you know, has there been or what have you learned from your experience of cancer and depression? And has there been any unexpected lemonade from the lemons, if you will? I have had some very unexpected lemonade. Um, And I guess, um, you know... (laughs) It's, it's still lemonade, so it's still pretty bitter sometimes. <laughs> um, but kind of the, the sweetest, best lemonade that I've had is um, the work that I've done with Copperfield. So I think I mentioned before, Copperfield are a breast cancer awareness charity, and they were set up by um, Chris Halenga, who was diagnosed with secondary breast cancer when she was 23. So it spread beyond her breast, and um, it was... When it, when it gets to stage four, um, you it's decreed terminal I mean I would argue we're all terminal but you know um so Chris has been living with secondary breast cancer for 10 years nearly 11 years now um and she decided that she didn't want anyone so her cancer was diagnosed really late which is why it had spread and she decided that she didn't want anyone else to be in a situation where they were diagnosed late and as a result of that they were going to live with cancer for the rest of their lives um so she set up copperfield to get as many people as possible to know the signs and symptoms of breast cancer get into the habit of checking their boobs or chest because men get breast cancer too on a regular basis and feeling empowered to go to the gp if they notice anything unusual and i got involved with copperfield as a boobette and boobettes are basically the boob ninjas of um, the UK. And there's about 130 of us, I think, all over the country. And we basically go into schools, colleges, workplaces, basically anywhere that will have us to bang on about bangers and the importance of checking your boobs. And so I was a boobette for a while. Um, and then a couple of years ago, they were looking for a new trustee to join the charity. And they asked me if I would be interested. And I was delighted to accept. And yeah, I, I mean, we hear so many stories from people who found a lump and got diagnosed with breast cancer early as a result of Copperfield. And they always say, oh, you know, Copperfield saved my life. And I don't know why I found the lump in my breast, but I I did. And I can't attribute it to Copperfield in a particular way. But Copperfield saved my life after cancer because they have been such... They've given me a sense of purpose and understanding and they are just an incredible team of people who are working for this common good and doing it in such a brilliant way and I'm just so proud to be involved with them and yeah they they saved my life because and actually you know I think they saved my life 
in regards to my mental health as well because my mental health took a real tumble after I that sounds like it's quite minimizing um my mental health was really bad after I finished treatment and they kind of gave me a reason to keep going and um I just love them I just love them um, it's a great charity. So that's one of the best cans of lemonade that I've had. But I've done some amazing things. I've been, I've had so many incredible opportunities um, that have come as a result of, of having breast cancer. And also, you know, my life, there's no part of my life that cancer hasn't changed. It changed everything for me, um, even down to my work. And before I got sick, I was working in a job that I didn't really love. It was kind of fine. Um... But now, you know, I, I've gone freelance, I'm in complete control of my own destiny, um, I choose the projects that I want to work on, I say no to the projects that I don't want to work on, um, so there's that element of delicious lemonade, um, and then I've been um, in a fashion show, um, for, for Breast Cancer Care do a fashion show every year um, with people who've had cancer which was just the most bizarre and brilliant experience. I went to Spain for the day, got naked and jumped into a lake um, as, as a result of my um, breast cancer and my experience uh, with Copperfield and um, yeah and I get to talk about these things and I get to open those conversations and actually probably for me that's one of the biggest things I get to kind of start these conversations and continue these conversations and make sure that people who need to hear that there is life after cancer you know it's it's positive and reassuring and also you know just accepting that if you feel crap then that's okay too and just uh, yeah there's lots of lemonade there's lots of not so good stuff as well but um I'm very lucky very very lucky in that respect and I think it's as the book suggests and everything that you talk about is you've got to have the lemons to have yeah. the lemonade then yeah. it doesn't it doesn't happen otherwise but no that's, it, you have done and still do amazing things and we're going to come on to shortly the big the big amazing thing that's <laughs> coming up in a couple of days for you but firstly what if there is sort of one bit of stigma around mental health that you could remove what would that be and, and also one assumption around having cancer mm. So stigma around mental health, I wish we lived in a world where people could be really honest about their mental health and rather than getting in touch with their employers and saying, oh, I've got a cold, when really they are engaged in hand-to-hand -hand, hand -hand combat with their brain, I would love it if we lived in a world where that was acceptable. Um, but... I that takes a big shift I think that's going to be a really big shift and I don't think that that's something that can happen overnight um, and then in terms of um, you, you said common misconception about oh yeah misconception or an assumption, assumption that you think that people people have and... so I think one of the most common uh, assumptions Oh, so many things to say. Um, one of the most common assumptions about cancer is that it happens only to older people. It doesn't happen to just older people. It can happen to anyone. Cancer doesn't give a hoot who you are or how old you are or um, what colour your hair is, what colour your skin is. It 
doesn't care. Um, cancer can happen to anyone at any point and I think kind of tying into that I guess um, because people assume that cancer is only something that happens to older people we're maybe not as proactive as we should be with our health and that's one of the messages that Copperfield really pushes um, is that we should be getting to know our bodies and knowing what's normal for us and recognizing if anything is different so that's kind of like a two-pronged answer to your question. The most common misconception is that it happens to older people, um, and as a result, we're not looking after ourselves as well as we could be. Yeah, brilliant. I think that's an important one to know. And, and so that leads us nicely onto uh, you've talked about Copperfield and the amazing work that that you do and Copperfield as, as a whole uh, charity does. So tell us a little bit more about this up and coming trip to India. So, with it being Copperfield's tenth birthday this month um they do a trek every year um we've been to well, i mean i haven't been but copperfield have been to machu picchu iceland um oman transylvania and this year we are going to india um, there are a hundred of us going to india to trek through the himalayas and we have so far as a collective raised nearly £350,000 for Copperfield and let me tell you I know firsthand how much of a difference that is going to make to our charity like it's incredible um, and yeah so we've got these 100 intrepid boob loving folk who are putting themselves through one of the hardest challenges um, it, it is going to be hard, it's going to be intense. Uh, we're camping um, overnight and trekking for up to nine hours every day. Um, yeah, so I'm very excited but also very nervous about it. But I know it's going to be amazing and there's so many people who are in a similar position to me who have had a personal experience of breast cancer and I think it's really important to kind of recognise that each one of those people is going on this kind of trek, but I hate using this word, but we're all kind of going on our own journey of acceptance and figuring out what our bodies can do after cancer. That's one thing I'm very, very nervous about actually is um, my, I get really, really bad fatigue. Um, Post-cancer fatigue is a really common problem. Um, for some people it doesn't last very long, but for some, some people it lasts a really long time. And there's all sorts of factors that um, add to it. And because I had 10 surgeries in three years, um, that's one of the main reasons why I still get really bad fatigue. So I wish, like, I used to think I was tired before I got cancer. I wish I had relished feeling that kind of tired because the, the kind of tiredness you get from fatigue um, from post-cancer fatigue is like nothing else so when I get really tired now I just throw up brilliant what a gift um and I will reach a point where my body just goes no you need to lie down and we'll stop like and when that happens there's nothing I can do about it so I'm quite nervous about that um but yeah there's the kind of people who have um had their own experience of breast cancer personal experience but then there's people who have 
had family or friends go through it. And then there's people who are just really passionate about what Copperfield does. There's people who are friends of Chris's, friends of the charity. Um, so it's going to be a really amazing and interesting bunch of people with so many stories to tell. And I love listening to other people's stories. So I'm really excited for that. And yeah, I just can't wait to see the mountains. Oh, it's, it is going to be such an incredible experience as, as someone who we talked about before i've been to the himalayas similar areas are going to be trekking and it is a magical magical yeah. spot that will help with that that in itself just the settings when you know help with those times that are tough just looking out yeah. and and realizing and seeing seeing that you know something really special but so where can we how can we follow along how can we support are they, is there still fundraising oh yeah so yeah, we are yeah. still fundraising okay great tell us how um, and where we can do this so you can find me at everyday hero um so i'm amp treks the himalayas and does a half marathon for good measure i'll make sure to give Catri the link there that's for what that. i was gonna say i'll put those <laughs> in the show notes yeah and um you can find me all over social um i'm just at alice may um everywhere <laughs> um and yeah so i'm going to be talking a lot about the trek in the run-up so we leave on friday when i'm in india um well when we when we first get to india we'll have wi-fi but then when we're in the mountains we won't have anything so i'm going on a bit of a digital detox which i cannot wait for um but yeah then when i get back um, and maybe sporadically throughout depending on how things go um there will be pictures and i'm going to take some videos as well um i mean i think the videos will probably just be me crying for like the whole time on the way i'm just gonna again be like 90 percent snot <laughs> um, but saying that i thought i was going to cry for the whole of the half marathon that i did on uh, last week and i only cried when i got to 500 meters to go and i was like oh my god i've done it <laughs> um so yeah social media I'll be I'll be on there as as much as I can manage while I'm away brilliant well I will certainly be putting the links for the for any donations as it all the donations how are they how are they going to tell us how that's going to help spur you on oh well literally every penny that I get is going to keep me moving when I feel like I can't um and yeah I just I honestly I, as part of my role as trustee, I see the accounts for Copperfield and every penny is going to be so, number one, well used and number two, it's just going to help keep help Copperfield keep doing the amazing things that they're doing and um, keep spreading the word. Um, and yeah, please do follow Copperfield as well because they're an amazing charity. I love them. <laughs> Brilliant. We certainly would do that. And so last question that I ask everyone. Yeah. What would you, if you could go back, jump in that time machine and go back to your younger self, what would be the little bit of advice you would whisper in your ear? So as part of Copperfield's 10th birthday celebrations, they've um, asked people to do a grab life letter to encourage, to go back 10 years and talk to their younger self. So I've just answered this question oh, on Instagram lovely. actually. But um, I would tell myself um, to stop being so bloody hard on myself for one thing. I would tell myself to try and reel in some of the um, negative self-talk that I have because the longer you talk to yourself that way the harder those patterns are to break and I would also um, tell myself that things are going to be hard and they're going to be harder than you ever could have imagined but um, that you'll get through it and um, you'll 
figure out that you are much stronger than you ever realised you, that you could be. Sound, sound advice. <laughs> so I will be putting all of those things, like I said, I'm also going to link, so your book, Life, Lemons and Melons, that's available on Amazon? Yes, it's available it's on Amazon, uh, or you can get it direct through my blog as well. Okay, fantastic. I shall link everything in the show notes. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. to chat to me, and good luck. You've got your packing you're still going to oh, do. Yeah. Good luck with the trek, and we will be following along. Thank you so much. Make sure that you're subscribed if you aren't already and let me know what resonated most with you about this episode by leaving a review. Be sure to screenshot and tag me over on Instagram so that I can see who is listening. Until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.